We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What to expect from the exciting running back breakouts. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find the Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. Have a, an extra free post up there for anyone who isn't a subscriber interested in checking something bonus out this week. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, we had a. Well, there's just so many things that we could be talking about at this point of this particular NFL season. But one of the storylines was we had a good week for running back breakouts. It was very exciting. You wrote over on Rotoviz about a team that I believe is a best ball team, but had um, Eno Benjamin and Raheem Mostert and Kenneth Walker all on the team. And sort of how funny it is that, as, as you mentioned, it's an anchor running back team, but it has DeAndre Swift, who's not playing. And so it's a de facto zero R running zero RB team for the time being. As you know, you have more depth at receiver. You still have these running backs. I think you used the word encroaching on your, your flex positions. Cause that's not the idea, but they're, they hit so big. Some of these guys this week, you have 20 point games from three of those names. Very exciting. Uh, Ken Walker, we talked last week, number one on the zero RB countdown this year. You know, Benjamin, Raheem Mostert, also on the list. Guys that certainly you were telling people in August were were great zero RB targets. And yet, we have to start with, I mean, I'm, I'm laughing to keep from crying a little bit right now, but another injury to, and, and I mean, we, we did a whole thing with the Trey Lance injury in week two. And one of the really tough things about the Trey Lance injury is we didn't get to know whether or not that was a hit. That sucks. I think probably the worst thing is when you're right and you don't get the payoff. I mean, I think in fantasy football, the hardest thing is, 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 you know, I I think Amon Ross St. Brown, man, drafters and managers and believers are feeling this a little bit. He has the missed game and, what was it, week four, then he comes back in week five and you have to start him, but he plays hurt. He only plays 32% of the snaps. You get a bad week in your lineup. Then he has the bye week six, then week seven. He gets concussed right away. You now have two really bad weeks, even though through three weeks, it looked like the clearest hit of anything in fantasy football. It's Amon Ross St. Brown managers are still going to get good games out of him the rest of the way, but it is unfortunate for them that you don't get that payoff when you're right. And you have two weeks where he's in your lineup and not doing anything. It's not fair, if you will. 
right? It, it, it sucks. Brees Hall, you mentioned on the show last week, or maybe it was after the show when we were talking, I can't recall, but one of your most rostered players, I think maybe your most rostered player in best ball or was that most, I think they're your two most rostered running backs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. The three guys are, are, Eno, Raheem Mostert and Brees Hall. And yeah, thankfully we still have the other two going. It just sucks because the whole thesis was so right. I was less excited than you. Uh, I talked about Hall as potentially having a Javante Williams type rookie year where there's too much of a committee. We, talked through that and, and obviously discussed the prices that we would like Hall at still very much acknowledge the, the upside and the possibility. And we drafted him plenty of times after that anyway, but you were pretty much always on this idea that his profile was so strong, the size speed combo, all of those things, you know, the tested athleticism was so good. The combine was so big for him and that it kind of moved him as a prospect from one bucket to you comparing him to Adrian Peterson and Jonathan Taylor at times in the off season. And we saw that. And and we talked last week, if you did bring this up on the show, I can't recall, but when we talked about your exposure, that he was really this one hit so far among a group of young breakout players that we're looking at that have had unfortunate circumstances in some cases. Drake London and Garrett Wilson come immediately to mind as guys that look good, but their offenses are so bad for passing right now that they're not getting anything. Hall was the hit, and then we lose him. We do, and it's just... I mean, it, it's this crazy dagger. And obviously the big thing is for him because it takes a little bit for these guys to come back. You've got all different types of injuries for these young backs. But when you think about why the early rounds in 2022 were so old running back heavy, it's been the loss of these guys from the last three draft classes that has really made that so much the case. Now you have the 2019 class that was not particularly talented. We are getting a big season now from the first round pick in that class in Josh Jacobs. But you look at the 2020 class and you have Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, and J.K. Dobbins all dealing with injuries. The injuries to Akers and Dobbins pretty serious DeAndre Swift has been that guy who's been right on the verge of becoming someone who could compete with a Jonathan Taylor, with a Christian McCaffrey, with, with an Austin Eckler or a Saquon Barkley for the top spot in fantasy. But he can't stay healthy. He can't keep those shoulders healthy and has some nagging leg injuries as well. You look at that 2021 class, Javante Williams going down. Again, just so demoralizing. Travis Etienne missing his rookie season when it looked like he probably would have a big impact. I mean, certainly Urban Meyer made so many mistakes that it wasn't going to cover up his weaknesses, but he's probably sitting over there thinking, you know, if we had had this guy that we drafted in the first round, then maybe I wouldn't have looked so bad. Etienne now really appearing to be the next back, almost in that Chris Johnson type of mold, where if there is a crevice, he is gone. And you're going to be getting these 30, 40, 50 yard runs. And now for the 2022 class to lose Brees Hall when, I mean, Hall was going to be that Adrian Peterson, Jonathan Taylor type of guy, but he can catch the ball too. And it's just so intuitive in the receiving game. You know, that's why he profiles even more as a Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson with long speed. 
And I mean, for all of the strengths that those two guys had, incredible agility for their size. They weren't players who were going to take a lot of balls, 60 yards for a touchdown. Like we saw again in this game before Brees Hall goes out. It's devastating for those fantasy rosters because there's just really no way to replace that production. It's obviously devastating for the Jets. They make the interesting move to pick up James Robinson. Robinson, a guy who it sounds like after the fast start to the season was starting to deal with a little bit of soreness, probably not to the level that we saw with J.K. Dobbins. I mean, that's the other thing there where you get the re-injury for Dobbins after he gets those two touchdowns. And especially now that you know he's out and they go to this extremely run-heavy approach, it's hard not to imagine what he could do there and what he may still do. If you can somehow get a Dobbins team through to the tournament, then I mean, you may have this extra wild card in your pocket to deploy at that point. But yeah, to lose Hall and to know about the recovery that these guys all have to go through. And you're thinking, well, I mean, Saquon Barkley is able to get back and he now looks like what he was. Maybe not still what he was as a rookie, but what he was in his second year at the very least. But it's just so crucial not to lose these peak seasons because they really are peak seasons for running backs. I mean, Brees Hall is in a peak season right away. And to lose that and to maybe, you know, lose a, a big chunk of next year in terms of being at his best. I mean, Cam Akers has all kinds of things going on there. It's not just the injuries. There are some, well, there's a personality conflict, it seems like, on top of everything else. But some of that stuff happens because your career was derailed in a way that it's hard to come back from. It's hard to deal with emotionally. And it's tough. It's, it's tough for these real guys. You had mentioned that team. I, I appreciate you doing that. It was a fun one. I drafted it with Michael Hitchcock. He writes some really cool DFS pieces over at Rotoviz. You can check him out there. I didn't mention it in the article. It, it was actually the, an FPC team. It looks like a best ball lineup when you see the, the 218-point score, uh, in part because we do have all three of those sort of lesser running backs in there you would have kind of expected us to yeah. have that fourth you showed the lineup and i was like this must be a best ball team <laughs> i don't know <laughs> sean to flex a running back very often no no we wouldn't want to but injuries at the the wide receiver position as well and we're already in that situation where the workload and the upside for guys like mostert and benjamin is so significant and so people will ask sometimes how did you put the zero RB list together? Why this guy and not that guy? This player seems like he has the ability to score a few more points in that first month. Maybe that'll be important. Maybe it won't. And Ben, that kind of leads into an interesting discussion, I think, about running back talent. And for anybody who hasn't checked it out, Ben must have written, I mean, is the technical term, I mean, is the like accurate term like bazillion? words yesterday yeah because you do your normal stealing signals which takes all day and this other massive extremely interesting post on running back performance running back talent and a variety of these intersections that are so important for putting together a dominant fantasy team yeah that was a fun post it was prompted by a, a good question and i talked in the newsletter over the years that i basically just like to write about what i want to write about or what is whenever I think I, you know, maybe have something that's interesting to share. So decided I've never done that before, but I was going to on a stealing signals day, write a different post first and then write stealing signals. At the end of stealing signals, I was 
pretty pretty fried, I was telling you. And I was like, this is probably the most words that I've ever written in a day since I started, you know, being a writer, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's a, a fun topic to get to. I don't want to just like gloss over the whole thing, though. Like, you're such an optimist that, uh, I, I don't know, you probably don't want to do the, the, the misery thing. But, I mean, you look at his game log, 12... 0.1 points, 13 points, 15.2 points the first three weeks in, I mean, those are PPR scores, in a role where he had six, seven, and eight rush attempts. He never had hit 10 rush attempts yet. Weeks four, five, and six, 17, 18, 20 carries. He's starting to actually be in that role. 15.8, 27.7, 20.1. And then in week seven, he had a 13.2 week on four touches, on 12 snaps, he already had the 60-yard touchdown. Was on his way to his third straight 20-point game. You talk about what that means. Like he, we talk about he is a hit and all of those things. You go look at his points per game and anyone who will look back at his season and his seven weeks in his rookie year and what it was. He had five games in the teens, in part because his role was just building. And really what it was was that by week five, he was a 20-point-per-game player two weeks in a row was well on his way to a third straight week in week seven, almost certainly would have had that. We do know what he was and what he was going to be. I guess there's like, I mean, it's not, there's not a lot of solace in that, but there's at least some comfort, but you were talking to me before the show about these teams that you have or that we have that everyone has best ball teams. People have, our buddy Pete Overzet, I know, was also very, very high on on Brees Hall and has talked about some of his best best ball teams right now and looking at those rosters and, and being frustrated that Brees Hall's there. And you know, it's just not a fun thing to see in that roster because you know that that was supposed to be not just a massive benefit to that roster. And there's these hits around it. You were talking about some of your other teams that have some other hits around it and they look like these teams that could be so competitive and so good not only do you not have that now, obviously you have a hole that you have to fill with like replacement level. In, in some of these teams, we don't draft particularly running back heavy. Creates the you know the situation where the the next player might have to be just some fill in running back that might only be able to score five points. And so that impact being, I mean, and I know a lot of our listeners are are feeling it too. I had. Some people reach out. I, I know one in particular that mentioned that he had gotten his team into a place where he had Josh Jacobs and Brees Hall as his top two running backs and felt so amazing about that. And then you just have a gaping hole there. You, you, you feel like you've already won in some respects. And so these things, obviously, they cut every direction. We always talk about the chaos of NFL seasons and how to build rosters that can thrive from that chaos. But there's really no way around the reality that this season has been one where the young breakout type players that, that we're interested in are the ones that are getting hurt. The older players are the ones that are staying healthy. They're not necessarily hitting ceilings. No one really is. Uh, I wrote about that a little bit in an, in an introduction to, I believe part one of stealing signals this week that you have these huge gaps at every position between the top scorers and the rest of the, the field at a quarterback. There's like a four point gap between, I think it's the top five guys now. Burrow has joined that group, but um, a huge gap between you know the Burrow, Hurts, Allen, Lamar, and Mahomes group and everyone else. At tight end, we know there's a huge gap between Kelsey and Andrews and everyone else. At receiver, if you account for 
especially Marquise Brown being hurt right now because he's sort of in the middle. There's also a gap between, I think it's 19.5 PPR points and above, which houses five five receivers, and they were all five of the top six. It's Diggs and Adams and the big three. And then everyone else is 16.5 or lower. It's a three-point gap there. And then at running back, you have uh, a very similar thing as well, where there's some big names at the top and then a pretty substantial gap. And most of those big names are the early round picks that we talked about uh, on last week's show. You have obviously Eckler. You have Josh Jacobs now really far up there. You have another group that's in the 18 to 19 point range, and then you have a pretty steep drop to like, there's nobody between 17 and 18 points per game right now, right? Like there's there's these little like drop-offs as you start to look down the, the points per game list at every position. Brees Hall is one of those guys that from a later round pick, even though, I mean, it's a mid-round pick. It's not a late pick, but it wasn't one of the top picks. Josh Jacobs, another one at running back who is absolutely crushing from a, from a non-top slot. And, and he's like the only guy now left. But Hall is one that was going to hit in that way and already was hitting in that way. But there are more. I guess to finish that thought, I was saying no way around the young breakout players, Lance, Hall, Javante Williams was one that a lot of people didn't want to take in the second round because he didn't project for enough volume. And he was, even though he was a high ADP guy, a guy that we were projecting as a talent-based pick, as a, as an industry, to potentially consolidate work and go on to you know a massive season. It's the young guys that are getting hurt. It's it's it sucks. But DeAndre Swift even is another one who younger guy that is that sort of explosive ceiling player. Maybe doesn't fit quite as as you know as easily. Lance Williams, Hall, all are 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 either rookies or second round players or second year players. Anyway, the Hall thing is is such a bummer. Yeah, you mentioned that, and I mean to have like Hall, Josh Jacobs, and to lose one of those two. It really is devastating because you put yourself in such a great position to accomplish whatever your particular objectives were. I was mentioning to you that I have an FFPC main event team that's in first place, but it's not even the first place that is a concern or frustrating or the emphasis so much as that having Hall on that team with Barkley, with Andrews, with Joe Burrow, I mean, the, the hits, like you're talking about, you're thinking, I mean, this could be a million dollar team. And then, I mean, it can still be good. And you have to have put yourself in a position to where you have exposure to some of these guys like Eno and Mostert. You've got to continue to grind now and put yourself in a position to get the next guy. I mean, there could be a situation, I think, where one of these Panthers backs actually does something. And the offense is going to limit them more than it did this past week, but guys who are explosive. But there's still just no way to really cover over that. And one of the kind of fun things after a rough first month for our chasing stolen bananas team, you and me and Pete and Pat were so excited Sunday morning as we're going through and deciding on the starting lineup. And we've got extra guys we'd like to put in. And we're thinking at every I mean, position, at every it's position, like a, it's a one in five team or something, and but it's a good team. It has a chance to get in on points. Well, you're thinking even with the whole, and, and this kind of transitions into the other thing that, I really wanted to talk about is that this is the time period where the types of teams that we're drafting really should separate. So that was the fun thing about the team with Michael, where we score the 218. That was the fun thing about these last two weeks with the chasing stolen bananas team is that you're starting to see the move as the chaos has happened, as the teams are evolving, as you're getting more production now from some of these guys that were contingency based plays. And you're thinking everything is set. 
the team, the Ch- Chasing Stolen Bananas team, starts Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, and Kenneth Walker. And all three of those guys looked like, I mean, they looked like the three most electric backs in the entire NFL last week. Now, the great thing about that team is that you can still now start Travis Etienne and Ken Walker. That was a team that we specifically tried to play out this strategy of early wide receiver tight end. And then we got a little bit of the wide receiver avalanche. And so instead of drafting receivers that we really didn't feel like necessarily deserved those slots, we went with the dead zone guys, but specifically dead zone guys that we thought could be future first round picks guys who factored into our 2023 projection show of, you know, who's going to be in the first round next year. So we have ETN, we have hall, and then we come back with Ken Walker and and it's going to work. And you know that you're going to lose some guys. So losing a player there, I mean, that's factored in. And yet at the same time, emotionally. And now as you're looking at like how high, how high ceiling can the flex positions be? I mean, one of the things about zero RB is I think that, and or an anchor R team, any of these contingency-based types of teams that really are targeting the bye weeks and on is people are thinking you're giving away some ceiling to approach it this way, but that's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. We're trying to build in so much ceiling that the team is almost unbeatable. When you get to the point where that's starting to come to fruition and then you lose the player, it's very hard. You just have to remind yourself it's, it's the same thing as losing a first, second round pick who's producing. And you've got to have a way to come back and score points. You're not giving up. But but it is frustrating because one of the things that you do see at the end of every year, what are the teams that are the most successful? I mean, you do have to have some health luck and especially health luck for your stars. I mean, all you have to do is think back to last year. And for so many people last year, Derek Henry's injury bailed them out because, you know, only one person in each league gets to have Derek Henry. But for the people who had Derrick Henry last year and what he's doing, and then when he goes down midseason, I mean, it's just absolutely devastating. Those teams are different in a way that you just, there's nothing you can do about it. You're not going to be able to replace 2021 Derrick Henry with just some guy. It's a bummer. That team that you referenced was, you referenced it early QB tight end. It was a Lance Pitts team, but we were able to get to, a, you know, as a free agent ad, and we were able to, you know, we're seeing some guys come back. We're seeing Chris Godwin come back. Has some of the good rookie receivers. It's such a fun team. There's just a lot of players that we could justifiably start, like we were talking about, that we weren't even necessarily playing last week. As, as we were looking, you know, we had like Wondell Robinson on the bench. And it's like, yeah, I mean, this is a guy that you can definitely start already at this point. Isaiah Pacheco, is he the starter for Kansas City? It seemed like he touched the ball like three times. <laughs> Isaiah Pacheco. Oh yeah, yeah. We had we had Pacheco on the bench as another running back that was supposed to be okay last week, but was not. But yeah, that that hole that you start in with the Pitts and Lance to still have so much firepower and to to have Tua now in place at QB and and hope for Pitts to be better because there's nothing else we can do. Like you said, especially with the our win loss record being pretty poor. We needed to come back and there's, a, there's paths in, in FFPC to get in. There's multiple spots that go directly to the top point scores. It goes, the, the number one C goes to the best win loss. Then the next remaining best point score. Then number three C goes to the next best win loss. And then the fourth and final seed 
goes to the next most points remaining. And so depending on how the win losses shake out for the best teams in the league, a lot of times you just have to be in the top four in points. If you're fourth, the top three will include those two win loss spots will go to that. That second seed will, will grab anyone who had a bad win loss, but a lot of points, a lot of times the first and third seeds will go to good teams that did have good win losses. A lot of times it's, you know, that fourth seed, you just need to be in the top four in points. There's not usually two teams that are getting super unlucky on win loss. It, it could play out other ways, obviously, happen, but, yeah, it but does. Yeah, def- it does definitely happen. But you're 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 like we got to get back in there, and we have paths through points. And like you just described, we have reasons to be excited for that because there's so much upside in this off in this team to potentially score one. You know, we scored 160 this week, even with Hall playing 12 snaps, to score 160 plus every game the rest of the way, and really make that up. And then you lose a little bit of that, and it's you lose that upside and, and all of a sudden it's, well, now there's, we have a lot to make up. <laughs> we're, we're coming from behind. And, and so that, that excitement is, is certainly tempered, but you pointed out to me this dichotomy this week between the huge bummer of Brees Hall and also a lot of reasons for excitement with a lot of other running backs. And we talked about a couple of them at the top of the show. Travis Etienne is one that we maybe didn't mention yet, but, also such an exciting development just since last week. He gets the huge role. They finally acknowledge, look, this is the player we can't take off the field. That reminded me a lot of all of our discussions last year related to Jonathan Taylor when they were giving Marlon Mack some work. And, and we kept talking early in the season, what are they doing? Like, they ha- even Naheem Hines can't play. They have to keep Jonathan Taylor on the field every single snap. They eventually did that. That's how it's looked in the Jacksonville backfield. It's kind of funny. It's kind of a win for you know, watching the games because I was talking about with James Robinson after week one and week two, even though we had the long touchdowns, didn't look particularly explosive on those plays. The other data was not supporting James Robinson particularly well. I, I talked about it in Stealing Signals over the first few weeks, things like the percentage of plays that he was getting, you know, more rushing yards than expected based on the blocking. Some of those things that we talked about, it seemed like Jacksonville made that decision by their utilization this week and going to an 80% snap rate for Travis Etienne. Even after he fumbled in the second quarter, I made a little note in my stealing signals notes, check the snaps after this point. It might be that we see more James Robinson after this point. Bummer for him to fumble kind of inside the five yard line prior to that point had gotten a goal line touch and scored a TD and gotten the two point conversion touch and scored. And so that was exciting. We're seeing all these new elements with him, but then he fumbles in close and then they stick with him after the fumble and keep using him and acknowledge, look, this guy's our, our great playmaker. We got to have him on the field. And he hits for a 49-yard play in the second half. Continues to, to show that excitement, that ceiling that you described. And then they trade James Robinson as well. So all of that for Travis Etienne. Incredibly encouraging. The team talk this week, you're not going to see a lot different for, for Etienne, that Hasty's going to get more work. I, I don't really know how that fits with what we saw in week seven where ETN went up to an 80% snap rate, we already saw something different from him. So that I thought that was kind of an interesting quote that didn't make a ton of sense to me because his role had already expanded, you know, 30 plus percentage points of snap share above what he had been, been at for most of the year, which was about 50%, about 50, 50 split for most of the year between those two guys. So anyway, we have the ETN thing as an, a very exciting thing to fall back on. We have, Kenneth Walker, who we were already talking about some last week, but obviously another massive hit this week. 
Big exciting note on his usage. He gets up to 60% routes. Doesn't even get targeted in this game, but hadn't been higher than I think it was 41% or 42% routes as a percentage of dropbacks. Got all the way up to 60% in this game. So getting a little bit more involved even as a as a route runner and, and I think is going to be positive for his receiving, even though he didn't catch any passes in this game or even get targeted. You have the Mostert thing continues to just be the clear one and Chase Edmonds the clear B as opposed to any kind of a split there. And you were very excited about Mostert and we took a lot of him. And then, you know, Benjamin, we don't know how long that's going to last, but a lot of people out on Twitter, you know, you're not on there, but I'm always bringing you the notes. We're talking during the game about, you know, Benjamin, maybe he's just their best running back. And we talked about him, I think, a little bit on Friday, uh, Saturday show last week because we saw him on Thursday night. But a really fun week for the zero RB countdown for for the road of his guys, for the stealing bananas guys, other than you know running backs, other than than Breesall. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Yeah, you mentioned some of that receiving work too. Larry Andrews had a great article up yesterday about ETN, exactly what he was doing out there. He is averaging over six yards per carry. We don't necessarily expect that to continue, but he has the profile of a back who could do it. And that's one of the things that I want to emphasize always. And one of the things that I think was both implied at points and then also explicitly explained at other points in your fantastic article yesterday in terms of the running back efficiency, where when you're drafting the stars, you're not necessarily saying that they can be at that level all the time. But when you're going after the top players, they can go through these stretches where they're ultra elite. And those stretches can come over the course of big chunks of the season. They can come in the fantasy playoffs. When you're talking about guys who could have 5.5 to 6 you know, point anything yards per carry. It's a very limited group. You know, it's not going to be every season of their careers or anything like that. But if you're going to have exposure to it, when it does happen, then you have to actually have those guys as your targets. You can't just be saying, well, it's not sustainable. So I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to draft those guys because then you definitely won't have them when they do it. ETN looking very good there. He also has five targets in this game, only catches one of them, but the elements of how that played out kind of fluky, we expect him 
to have some receiving value. And you mentioned that they say, well, it's going to be a similar kind of workload. Partly, I think these teams are just trying to let you understand that when the backs end up with like 30 opportunities in a game, that's probably not what the game plan was. And it probably won't happen very often. ETN, probably not a guy who's going to stumble into extreme workloads very often, but within his just normal play, he could score a lot more receiving points than he has so far. That's something we can look for. You have the great note on Ken Walker. The thing with him that I think is exciting there is a little bit the case that we've made for some guys like Ronald Jones. Now, obviously, there's been nothing with Jones this year. He's been inactive all the time. But if you run all of those routes and you have a big presence on first and second down, even if the third down back comes in and steals some of those, which isn't a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that you're going to have a big third down guy as the season goes along, because we're still very early on in Walker's career in his development. One of the reasons that some of these freshmen or freshmen, these rookie running backs go and score so many points down the stretch is that you get this evolution of the role, but being out there for a lot of those plays on first and second down, you'll stumble into a decent number of receptions. All of those receptions help. And then when you're as athletic as Ken Walker, you have that potential for a 50, 60 yard play, just like we're seeing with him in the running game. So that part, again, very, very promising. And then with Mostert, he ties his career high with the four receptions. He catches the touchdown pass. In some ways, we're getting almost a better than best case outcome from Mostert right now, where, I mean, I think one of the things that it would have been impossible to see coming is just how poorly Chase Edmonds has right. played. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's, he's a guy who's been pretty good. He's a guy <laughs> yeah. that... We didn't dislike him. There's just a big gap in what the price was. And so you're saying these guys actually have pretty similar outcomes. And especially the early down work is probably not priced in appropriately. That was kind of the thesis there is that most are, as opposed to being the backup who needs an injury or needs underperformance, he probably is actually the slight favorite for that work. And that role could be very valuable in Miami. I think it could be a lot more valuable going forward than it's been so far. I would expect them to be more successful running the ball, score more points than they have. They've had all this quarterback musical chairs because of the injuries. If they could get to a now for a stretch, you could, I mean, this could be a huge value at running back, but if Mostert also gets receiving work, then I, you know, you're talking about a low-end RB1, and that's just a really cool outcome there. Now, I think there's going to be some inconsistency with Mostert. We know that even more than every player. I mean, the season can change for every single guy on one play. That's what we got with Brees Hall this last week. With Mostert, there's probably a little bit greater chance of injury, just like with DeAndre Swift. Even once he comes back, I mean, you're dealing with the specter of every snap, him going out and giving you – I mean, hopefully he goes out. It's in the fourth quarter, but you can get – that kind of situation that you just described with Amon Ra, where DeAndre Swift always brings you the extreme risk of just giving you a one or a two. We get a little bit more of that probably with Mostert than with a lot of guys, but the ceiling here now, if he's going to catch some passes, I mean, it's just through the roof. Yeah, he has looked fantastic. The The role continues to expand. His routes were at season high this week, which backed up the increase in receiving. You mentioned the, the admin saying, I mean, I, was thinking the exact same thing. He like every opportunity he's getting, he's looking bad on. And it's not something that we could have predicted. I mean, that was another thing in my stealing signals part two intro. I, I write these intros to the stealing signals and then I wrote an extra piece. I wrote a lot of just like macro concepts this week, but was talking about 
what we talk about in the offseason, Sean, about projecting these offenses and, and what they're going to look like. And, and we sometimes fade season-long projections because they're built on these assumptions. And we sit and we argue about, as a, as a community, as a fantasy industry, and I really do think this is a great point in the season to be looking back at those discussions to try to crystallize those points for future years. It's times like this in season where this stuff clicked for me and, and stuck with me into future years and why, you know, I've been so attracted to this type of drafting and, and we've continued to talk about it every year. But you think back because the August discussions are so fresh right now is the biggest reason. But you can think back to what we were talking about and what the industry was assuming with a lot of the ADPs. I mean, Ken Walker's a really great, pretty easy one where no one was really expecting in the fantasy industry that Geno Smith might actually be pretty good. They might actually throw a decent amount. They might actually be a somewhat fun offense. And if you had those assumptions in place, Penny and Walker's prices wouldn't both have been where they were. You know, we know they're going to also be a pretty run heavy team and they tend to generate running back points. But the expectation was the whole offense would be so bad that it would look like you know, some of these other terrible offenses that nobody can succeed in, like what the Bears passing game is. Like you can't play Darnell Mooney right now because that's just – or the Falcons passing game. Uh, everything has to go back to the Falcons and Cal Pitts. But – We've got some Geno. Like, we have Gino some Geno. Geno's winning the competition, drafter Seahawks. If he's not, run screaming the other direction. Sean, we were talking about that on the show in March. I mean, that's something that right right after the Russell Wilson trade, it it was it was always interesting. We you would bring it up when we would do the the Superflex best ball teams. It was so funny that Drew Locke would be the one getting drafted and not Geno because everything from the Seahawks all offseason really was pointing towards Geno being the starter, and, and that was something that we talked about all offseason. The Seahawks being better offensively than they were was the first thing. Obviously, the penny injury is the second thing. But now Walker's in a situation that is so much different than what he was being projected into in any kind of season-long expectation breakdown in the offseason. Now, the, the injury part of that, I think, is easy for people to understand. Sometimes injuries happen. It completely changes the, the thing. And, and that does get weighed into the to the market that's why ken walker's adp was close to pennies was in part because people didn't really trust penny's health and walker would potentially have the runway and he's a handcuff and we talk about those things injuries aside there are things that we miss on big big time so i would i would focus more on the geno being good and the seattle passing game being good i would focus on for you know for san francisco you have the the trey lance injury dramatically impacting how we might project their pass volume but then also you have Christian McCaffrey being traded to that team as a, as a thing. Um, one of the things I mentioned was the Rams have had multiple elements. They had the Cam Akers stuff, whatever has, has been there, whether it's his talent or his, you know, you mentioned personality clash or what have you. But you also have in their passing game, if we would have known from an, an assumption standpoint that Allen Robinson would definitely look like last year's Allen Robinson, like he just didn't want to play football and wasn't going to be a contributor. I mean, I, I would have been a lot higher on Tyler Hegby. One of the things that, we talked about during the projections portion of the offseason with the Rams was even if Cooper Cup has a really good year again, there's room for someone else to be good here. We thought that Allen Robinson's price was so high that maybe he wouldn't even necessarily be worth taking there. And he would take enough that no one else would really be that great. And it would, but Robinson being so bad has meant that, I mean, you even have to be interested in Van Jefferson, who I'm never interested in a little bit in these deeper leagues because somebody's got to get other volume in that offense. But but then the other thing on top of that is just that the offense itself has been far worse because it's so difficult for people to not 
chase the last season. And but there are a variety of ways to chase it. And one of the things that you can do, you go and look at the Rotoviz AYA app, and you can see all of these guys, like a Kenny Galladay, for example, who have been elevated by Matthew Stafford, and yet that part of it isn't guaranteed either. Right? The Rams overall, coming off of a Super Bowl championship, could actually be very pedestrian on offense which has happened here and that's it's so hard to account for and you think back again to the you know we talk about the the way that projections play a huge role in in the ways that we think through things in july and august and the conversations we have about target share and role and all of those things and sean you and i are always trying to talk at that time about well there are a lot of potential outcomes there's a probability range talk about Mostert, one of the keys for him, uh, as you said so well, has been similar to the Allen Robinson point that Chase Evans has just been really bad. And that's not something that was easy to foresee. He's had opportunities. He's had some bad drops in the passing game. He's been incredibly inefficient as a runner in a way that he's never been before. He's just not fit. And you want to, anyone who drafted Edmonds, you want to look back and think, what did I miss? Well, I don't think you missed a ton. I mean, I think people are going to overreact and say, well, we probably shouldn't have gave so much weight to his contract and things like that. The contract mattered. I mean, he did actually get some early opportunity. He's just been bad. I mean, that's not something that is easy to foresee. There is uncertainty. There is chaos. There are these elements that are hard to predict. One of the things I love about the Ken Walker pick for you, putting him number one in in the zero RB countdown, is not just that you were saying, there's a lot of uncertainty with the Seahawks, but it was actually a lot of faith and a lot of confidence in a completely different outcome than what everyone else was saying. So it's, you were willing to say, Geno Smith's actually going to make the Seattle offense good. I mean, you've, you've been, you talked about it all off season there. Is, you had Rashad Penny on that list as well. I mean, he hit very well. It's a really important thing to keep in mind from the team level, as we think about, how that stuff has impacted so many players. I mean, the the most obvious and extreme example will always go back to Kyle Pitts, especially as it relates to Mark Andrews. Those guys are still so close in targets per outrun and air yards profiles. Mark Andrews has run exactly 100 more routes this year so far. I mean, it's just the Falcons don't run pass plays. (laughs) And, And we had some concern about that with the Ravens. I would say to the extent that I wasn't as high on Andrews as I wanted to be, and I, I didn't always say in the offseason you wanted to still be on Andrews, but it was me missing on thinking the Ravens' pass game had to come down in their pass volume more than it has. And we saw some of that in week seven, how that can manifest. So they didn't throw a whole lot, and Andrews had a bad game. Anytime you're putting too much weight on the team-level situation, you're probably missing something. And the key is what you're probably missing is the potential for league winners because it it doesn't help you if you're right about what everyone is arguing about and the market is on. If you're drafting guys right around where they should be valued based on all of the projections and all the assumptions, and those assumptions are right, and to be clear, for some teams, the assumptions have been mostly right, there's not league winning upside there because it's already priced in. One of the biggest reasons we're talking about fading this and leaning into the chaos is that's where the, I mean, that's why I bring up the, like the McCaffrey trade. If I don't know how big McCaffrey's role is going to be, but if it is big enough and now he's actually in a good offense where he can get the offensive scheme and system to help his efficiency. And he's already been efficient in bad teams. 
he can be back to being a superstar in a way that we never would have known coming into the year that McCaffrey was going to be on the 49ers. But the guys that end up defining seasons often are the ones that are propelled forward by these chaotic outcomes on the team level. The Chase Edmonds thing and Raheem Moser could be a guy who defines this year as a late round running back. So we're actually looking for those spots because they are the most beneficial. If you think about any of the top exciting players, Josh Jacobs, the big miss with him was expecting he couldn't have an every down role, right? And, and there's people that were talking about Josh Jacobs did, or excuse me, Josh McDaniels did this when he was a head coach a long time ago, but he was a head coach for two seasons in 2009 and 2010. He was an OC in 2011 with the Rams. Three years of coaching experience outside New England and more than a decade ago, completely different NFL. If you hit that, props to you. But I, I it, it changes the conversation to pretend like that was a certainty. Like what McDaniels did in this non-New England time was going to be the way that he was going to work things here. That's not what the expectation was, and probably rightfully so, because that was a long, long time ago in a different NFL. But Josh Jacobs getting that type of role has been a massive hit. And it's been a, a a thing that no one was really projecting. When I did the projections podcast with Mike Leone, I remember on Jacobs, we were both projecting him for fewer targets than he had receptions last year. And he did have a good receiving role last year, but we expect that to come down because of all the talk of the James White role and all those things. So you have these misses on the entire, you know, uh, assumption that the inputs, the things that, you know, the things that you are thinking about, the market is thinking about that drive the biggest league winners. The interesting thing, I think, in that very last sort of note there about Josh Jacobs, and the Patriots were pretty explicit about it in the offseason, is that with Josh McDaniels moving on, they wanted to run an offense that was not, that didn't telegraph the run versus pass quite as much with the personnel. And that was one of the reasons why there was enthusiasm for both Stevenson and Harris catching more passes potentially or falling into some bigger workloads because the Patriots didn't want to telegraph that. It's interesting to sort of discover as the season goes along that McDaniels also was probably thinking in some of those same terms that as he goes back to the Raiders, he also wants to be in a situation where teams can't tell the tendencies quite as well with the personnel packages. Josh Jacobs has been fantastic. Josh Jacobs is an interesting one because it cuts against a lot of the things that we like to do. And so we're currently in this portion of the season where so many things are still going to change. And that's one of the elements about declaring victory after weeks one and two, after weeks three and four, after weeks five and six. Obviously, at some point, we're going to get to the end of the season and we'll know what will have definitely worked for 2022. But even then, people are going to look at it in a lot of different ways. People always talk about hindsight being 2020. I kind of prefer the joke slash, you know, potentially incorrect way of telling that where, you know, hindsight is 50 50. <laughs> even after we know what has happened, it's still easy to get a lot of things wrong. And Everything that you said there perfectly on point in terms of how we're thinking about it. Pricing these scenarios is very important and trying to figure out where there are exploitable opportunities because if the most likely scenario and the most likely event team-wise, so we can look at it from the perspective of injuries that directly affect a player. You can look at it from the perspective of injuries that maybe are one level removed but are going to have a big impact on how the team can then play going forward, even if it doesn't directly open up a role for a particular guy. But then 
what's most likely to manifest once things change. And these guys who are extremely talented are most likely to be able to take advantage of it. It doesn't mean that someone else won't also be able to take advantage. One of the things I am asked from time to time about the zero RB candidates list is why are you taking some of these players that definitely need some things to happen that are not what people expect when there are also some good prices on players where maybe they don't need as much to happen. Somebody who I don't even know he's that controversial because the talent level is so low that the chiefs themselves are saying we're demoting him more or less to second string. But Clyde Edwards-Alaire specifically or purely from a fantasy perspective has been a big hit. And yet as the season goes along, that's probably going to work in a different direction. It's probably going to go in Pacheco's favor or McKinnon's favor, or maybe even someone who doesn't play. One of the reasons why some interest in some of these guys who might be trade acquisitions, you're looking for the players who can come and hit on a massive level, as opposed to maybe a CEH or a Juju level. And then you're looking at the players who are most likely to hit at the times that matter the most for you. It doesn't mean that you're going to always be right. And I think that there, there's this tendency, no matter how long you have done it, to try and think for the next season, well, are there some specific elements that I can take? And then next year, I'll be right on everything. And that, I think, is sort of a catastrophic way to look at fantasy football or managing your finances or all these other things that you do in life with decision-making, where once you stop being willing to make mistakes, then you can't be as creative, you can't be as aggressive, you can't create the same amount of ceiling, and you're going to always be chasing what happened last. And so from that perspective, you're going to almost always be wrong because those things have already happened. And that, I think, is one of the things that's been a lot of fun in the last couple of weeks is that despite a frustrating first month for some of our favorite players, to have you know they have the Trey Lance and, and Brees Hall, things both happen in the same year. And it's that's not surprising in any way, shape, or form. Quarterbacks get hurt, running backs get hurt. I think for my specific portfolio, at least it feels like this has been a more problematic year for injuries in terms of what it meant to the starting lineup in given weeks as you're trying to get off to a decent start. Because the idea is not to bury yourself and then have a good team at the end of the season, and it doesn't matter because you know, you're not involved in those contests. The whole point of, you know, how do you build a tournament winning team? And this is one of the things I encourage people to at least consider in the off season, when you're hearing all of this stuff about how do you win week 17? I mean, you have to get there. You have to put together the kind of team that would legitimately have had a path to week 17 to the full shootout in the FFPC, what have you. It feels like a very bad year from an injury perspective for our portfolio. Sometimes that's just going to happen. But these last several weeks, even with the continued injuries, have been a lot of fun to watch some of these guys who, I mean, one of the things with Eno, for example, it's not even so much a matter of being right-ish. And you always have to say ish, because if it's just two weeks, I mean, these other guys could come back. I think Ingram looked pretty good despite the you know strong difference in the box score, I mean, Eno Benjamin in no way, shape, or form is guaranteed to be a 2022 league winner as we head into week eight. It's still possible, but it is cool at the time that it happens that you know we get to witness and give him a little bit of credit for 
what he can do. I mean, his spinning backwards touchdown last Thursday night was one of the coolest plays of the year. In a week where we do have some more, you know, pretty frustrating news, it is helpful to focus on all of these great plays and all the great human interest stories and all the fun fantasy developments of seeing big time plays from big time players and just really being able to celebrate both real football and fantasy football. Yeah. Again, there's that optimism. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a fair, uh, it's a healthy way of of approaching this. Um, There's a lot to learn. And, and I, I, in, in some cases, these tough seasons where, I mean, you're going to have rough seasons in fantasy. And one of the things that I've said in a couple of places that I'm grateful for is, you know, we were right on a lot of things in 2020 and 2021. I know the Stealing Signals readers have been giving me really great feedback that things went really well in their leagues the last couple of years. I think that's not going to be the case as much in 2022, just in part because of injuries. I mean, it's been tough. There's a lot that is still there to happen, but especially for people who are playing in leagues where you maybe don't have the paths with the points for elements and things. If, if you get behind the win loss record and you have to get in on win loss, it's frustrating and it's tough and, and you now have to win basically every single game going forward. And you can wind up with a really good team that doesn't make it in. And, and I expect that to happen with some of my own teams and some of the, you know, some of the other teams, because we're going to have some things that are going to continue to be very exciting but yet we've had the the little stuff taken off the top with the Brees Hall and and it's you know it's hard for these teams to be 180 point per week type teams. But you can look at a season like this as a as a learning curve. I mean, if you want to win in fantasy football long term, I mean, number one, you have to accept that there's going to be seasons that don't go particularly well, that don't go the way that you're expecting them to. It's just part of fantasy football. It's something, you know, Sean, you and I have both done it for decades now. That's going to happen. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's frustrating that it's, uh, you know, a a, a hobby or a, a fun thing that we do where you only get one season every year. And it really is kind of one outcome. We talk about it being sort of a small sample. Every season is, but that's also what makes it so fun to analyze the next year, but every season is, as you said, I mean, even at the end of the year, it can be misunderstood because it is such a small sample and, and a lot can happen. There's a lot of variance that impacts it. But yeah, that's I, I go back. I, I had obviously the really long diatribe just a minute ago, but I go back to if you're in a tough place with your own teams and all of those things, it's the perfect year. It's the perfect time right now to be trying to learn lessons, crystallize lessons, understand what you actually want to be doing next year. Even though, as you said, Sean, the stories of the season have not been written yet, but you can sit and think, what do we think now? What has changed in by week seven from the start of the year? And so much has changed as, you know, I detailed with a lot of those offenses. It really is important to keep that in mind for next year, right? And for the, the following seasons, because the, the flip side of that or the other outcome is you have a rough year and then you change everything to try to fit what happened in 2022, as you described, as opposed to what might happen in 2023 that 2022's outcome can tell us about. And this really is going to be a year where more than any other season, there's going to be the wrong takeaways that are taken from it. There's going to be things that are felt about 
for example, the young players not producing as much as, as we maybe wanted to. We know over a longer sample of 2020, 2021, and, and earlier, and rookies do hit, right? And, and rookie receivers have hit. Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are the two big ones the last couple of years on a season-long basis, but uh, Almond Ross St. Brown late last year. And there'll probably be some rookie receivers that have great stretches the rest of this year, but it's so funny that it looked after the first couple of weeks like this was going to be a year where we'd have a handful of rookie receivers hitting for the full season. And now it looks like, you know, you have probably Chris Olave's in the best spot, but not, not a lot of guys that look like consistent producers. If you can take those longer term trends and then apply them to what has happened in 2020, the uncertainty and the ways that what we thought we knew in August have not played out for so many teams more so than ever. And maybe we should have expected that because we talked all off season about the 2022 off season being one of the craziest and the highest variance and, and changing so much of, of all time. I mean, probably the, the craziest NFL off season ever. You can take the longer term things that we know and believe. And, and if you're, you know, skeptical still somewhat, or if this season has made you even more skeptical of some of the things that we talk about in terms of team building and drafting. I mean, I, we're biased, but I 2022 has made me more confident than ever in some of the things that, that we were trying to do. You're not going to always get the outcome that backs that up necessarily and really reinforces that. But as you, I mean, as you said, you don't want to just be chasing what happened, the outcome from the last year. If you have a process that works over multiple seasons, you're going to have some down years, but continue to do it year after year after year, you're going to win more leagues than you, than you should if, if that process works and you are willing to stay tied to it and, and and learn lessons but not change everything just because an outcome went in a way that was very tough to, to foresee. Yeah, we definitely haven't had the story of 2022 written yet. It's been a super weird season a couple of quick little anecdotes to kind of I mean, maybe illustrate a little bit of that. We've had some questions come in for OT about dynasty teams where you've got teams that have like five guys who would be first two round picks in startups and they're two and five. And that's just not going to happen very often. I had a team this last week that I'm trying to finish last with now last within the structure of you know you've got to start your best players every week but it is structured for 2023 has an absurd number of debbie players i had nine guys who scored a point last week in a 10 starting lineup team so nine guys in the starting lineup one zero zero bench points that team scored 205 <laughs> And is now in fifth place. <laughs> if you can have a team that has five first two round picks, that is two and five, you have this other team that has like nine viable starters that is in fifth place. This is it's a squirrely year. But exactly like you said, the worst thing you can do is learn the long, the wrong lessons. And I mean, it seems weird to say, but I like four seasons that are weird. You know, hopefully weird in fun ways, but weird to happen every so often because it keeps people off of the optimal strategies. 2016 was a frustrating year for zero RB advocates. But the 
great thing about it was that then people chased 2016 for five years and you were able to win a ton of money from 2017 to 2021. When you have some of these years that get people off of the league winning, the tournament winning plays over the long term, it's great as long as you don't also chase a year that's a little bit of an aberration. We'll see if it's an aberration because some of the things that are happening right now where (laughs) I think I described it as a 29 team race to the bottom, we'll see where some of these other teams go. But I strongly believe that as you move forward, you're going to see more teams solve the puzzle and you're going to have more teams try and emulate the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills than, say, the 1985 Chicago Bears. Right, so we'll see how that goes. Ben, as always, this has been so much fun. If you haven't had a chance to read those ceiling signals posts, and I mean, Ben spun an intro or a possible intro into this entirely extra free post for you. That's what you get as a ceiling signals subscriber. Make sure you check that out. Sign up for ceiling lines. Join us over at Rotoviz. 40 plus tools. Bunch of guys doing a great job helping you get the best insights from those. I don't know. I I mean, Brees Hall was probably the low point of the last five or six seasons for me on Sunday. But uh, I'm not a big drinker because of some alcoholism in the family. Then I did have, I'm coming off of just having lost like 30, 40 pounds. I may have put on about half of that again this past like three days eating candy. That's kind of my version of it. But week eight, it's going to have so all of those cool developments. What were you saying? You had you had a bunch of candy on Sunday night. That was here. Yeah, there. I mean, I went to Taco Bell when Trey Lance got hurt. I mean, I, I'm curious what your coping mechanism was. Well, I did have some Sunday evening Taco Bell. Nice. I mean, yeah. You can't. You can't. You can't ever miss out. The reliability is, you know, you need that at that moment. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I used to joke that I would walk on the treadmill for about two, three hours watching the games on Sunday, but eat a brownie Sunday while I was doing it. Because then you just balance out the things, right? The, the treadmill is now in a room where somehow the internet connection doesn't work right. And so essentially I've gone from walking for five or six miles during the day on Sunday to just having donuts and brownie Sundays. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that part of it turns out. It's been a rough season, Sean. We'll get back to walking in 2023. Yeah, no, we, we're rooting for all of you. We're enjoying the season with you. If you have an injury or a loss that doesn't go well, have some Taco Bell as opposed to doing something more destructive. (laughs) We'll talk to you guys soon. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. 
the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.